And as you're seated, we'll release the children through grade four, off to the classes that are prepared for them. We will find ourselves in Matthew uh, at, at, at a point down the road here. So Matthew chapter 21 is where we'll be looking together. And I think it's, uh, it's so exciting. I don't know about you, but I love Palm Sunday. And uh, so for me to see the kids come in and the excitement and the, and the palm branches waving, can you imagine if we would have handed each one of you a palm branch and asked you to come up here and, and wave that? How many of you would have been like, oh, I, I'd like to do that, you know? Yeah, I know, I know. And it's not easy to pick out which one of you are going to say yes and which one of you are going to go, I don't do that. And so, you know, but... The last song that we just sang, our God saves. God saves. And so, Hosanna, I was watching Anissa, and, and Anissa's on the television. You may or may not realize this, but there's a camera right up there that shines on Anissa. And so, every service that we have is interpreted for the deaf in our community. Isn't that amazing? But as I was watching her interpret Hosanna, Hosanna is this and this, Okay. Hosanna, right? But do you know that Hosanna means save? Okay? So, so save, if you go back to the original use of the word, it, it means save. Actually, the first time it finds its place in Scripture is in 2 Samuel, and, it, and it's translated in, in our version as help. But it's this idea of help or save, but by the time Palm Sunday, what we call Palm Sunday, that, that, that day when Jesus came into Jerusalem, by the time that came, this had come to mean a, a praise, a, a adoration, and, 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 and a great glory, if you will. And so in, in many ways, as we look at the text that, that Timmy read for us, and, and that came from the, from the Gospel of Mark, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. So it's this idea of glory to God in the highest. And, and so Hosanna has come to mean by this time, it still has that meaning of safe, but it also means glory. And so glory to God in the highest. Can you, can you think of another place in, in scripture where, you, where you've read glory to God in the highest and remember who spoke that? It was the angels, Right? The angel said, glory to God in the highest. And so, so today we're looking at this, this truth that, that, that our, our prayer, our praise of saying God save is actually an echo. And it's an echo of the angel's song. So, so as we think of, of Hosanna, and as the kids were, were doing Hosanna, and got to sit by Maggie, and she kept waving the palm branches, and I love that, because we're joining in and it's an echo of the song that's sung in heaven by the angels. Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. Now, Jerusalem, at this point in time, almost 2,000 years ago now, as Jesus made his way into Jerusalem on a donkey, most incredible when we think about it, but Jerusalem at this point of time would have been buzzing. And it would have been buzzing and it would have been hectic as hundreds of thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of Jewish people would have made the trek to Jerusalem. And they would have done that because they were, they were coming to celebrate the festival, the Passover celebration. And there were several feasts throughout the year. 
And if you want to know more about these, you come Thursday night because John and Arlene will help us understand how Christ's first coming fulfilled the spring feasts and his second coming fulfills the fall feasts. And you'll find out how palm branches with the cross are most significant. And as you look at that and you think about that and you realize that, that the Jewish people as the ones called out by God, chosen by him, had, had these festivals starting with the Sabbath every week and then each of the festivals that would call them into the work Worship of God Almighty. And so Passover was the one that, if they could come to one each year, that was the one they were going to come to. And so hundreds of thousands of people, Josephus records for us, the, the Jewish historian, records for us that in 66 AD, over 250,000 lambs were sacrificed for the Passover in Jerusalem that year. That's how many people were making their way into the city. So that's the city that Jesus came into on what we celebrate as Palm Sunday. Amazing to stop and think about that, isn't it? And you'll know, perhaps, as you've considered the rest of Jesus' account in Scripture, that many times in the gospel, told people, don't, don't say anything about this. He spoke in parables, and, and it was almost as if he didn't want people to understand and know who he was. Yet at this moment in time, as he came into Jerusalem, and he came in a way that would fulfill prophecy, he came in to the accolades and the praises of a crowd that were saying, Hosanna to God in the highest. The Gospels, as we read them together, show us that this particular crowd, and sometimes we can stop to think that it was the same crowd. We, we wonder how a crowd that cried Hosanna uh, on what we see Sunday could cry crucify him on, uh, on Friday. But, but when we look at this, there's, there may have been some pour over, but for the most part, these are two different crowds. This crowd that, that is proclaiming this as Jesus comes in, Gospels tell us that these are his disciples the ones who are following him. Remember, that's Jesus' call, isn't it? Through the Gospels. Come, follow me. Disciples. And so they are seeing this and they're proclaiming this. They've gone to get the, the donkey and, and they've they put the cloaks on the donkey and Jesus comes in. And so... We begin to look at this, and, and we're looking at this woven by grace in Christ alone. And, and I'm sure that you all remember every message that was preached during the Christmas season last year, right? I had to look them up too, okay? But maybe this will help. If you were here over the Advent season, this probably reminds you that we talked about this thread of redemption and, and how it's the grace of God that's woven all through Scripture. And as we come to, to Easter, as we come to this week of celebration, of, of the fulfillment in so many ways of the covenant promises of God, it's important for us to stop. And maybe you weren't here. So this starts long ago, and we've talked about this. If this is a rerun for you, it's good for us to be reminded, isn't it? You see, before, before anything, God was. God existed. God Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. 
God the Father pouring his love into God the Son. God the Son receiving and through the Holy Spirit pouring that out. And so in perfect relationship, God existed forever. And at a point in time, the love burst out in some way, and God chose to create. And he chose to create a world and a people a people who could respond, a people who could relate to him, a people who he could love, and a people who could receive his love. And he placed them into a garden, and he made a covenant with them, the Edenic covenant. And, and he, he asked them to, to relate to him and to care for this garden that they had been placed in, and that this would be worship. That, that actually the word that, that's used in there is that it would be worship of God as they worked the garden in the place where he had given them. But, but don't, don't eat the fruit of that tree. Just one thing. If you eat the fruit of that tree, you will surely die. The, the relationship will be severed you will no longer be able to receive my love because you will have died. And of course, Satan came. So this plan of redemption, this threat of redemption, before history, before scripture, finds its way in. And Adam sins, and Adam breaks the Edenic covenant, Hosea 6, 7 tells us. And God steps in. And the plan that he has, this thread of redemption, gets unveiled, if you will. As he comes to Adam and he says, there's a curse. You're now under a curse. But there will come a day when, the, when Satan, the serpent, will bruise the heel of one of your offspring, Eve. But that offspring will crush the head of Satan. A covenant made with Adam that redemption would continue. That even though he had sinned, even though he had broken the command of God, God would still reach into and save. And the redemptive plan continued to unfold. And man got as evil as man could get. Then another man came up, a man who was the only one that God could find in the whole world who was righteous and blameless. Even though the rest of the world had gone completely evil, as wicked as they could be, one man was found. Do you remember who? Noah. 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 All right? And, and God made a covenant with him that he would never again destroy the earth by water. And the sign of that covenant is rainbow. Excellent. And so then we move forward a little farther and we come to another man, Abraham. And God steps in as he continues to unfold this redemptive plan. God steps into the life of a man that he chose, a man, Abram. And he makes a covenant with Abraham, with Abram. And that covenant is that he will be the father of many nations, but that he will also be the father of a chosen nation, that, that through him all nations would be blessed, that, that, that God was setting aside a people for himself, a chosen 
people, a chosen race, a chosen nation, through whom he would bless all the other nations of the world. And he cut a covenant with Abraham. And we talked about how as that covenant was cut with Abraham, that, that the normal way would be for, Ab- for both parties in the covenant to walk through and secure that. But God put Abraham into a deep sleep, and God walked through, therefore declaring that he would be the one who would do whatever was necessary for that covenant to be kept. The sign of that covenant is circumcision for the chosen people of God, the Jewish people. And the the son and the grandson, and all of a sudden, the, the Jewish people, in order to avoid a famine, went into Egypt. And as they, they got into Egypt under, under Joseph and under a pharaoh who knew him, it was, it was an amazingly blessed time. But over time, a pharaoh came into power who didn't know Joseph. And they put the Jewish people into slavery. And it would seem that the thread of redemption would be broken. It would seem that there'd be no way for the promise made to Abraham, made to, to, to Adam, would ever be able to find fulfillment. But God, God stepped in. And God stepped in and raised up from among them a prophet, a man who talked to him face to face, heart to heart. And, and that man was Moses. And, and the people in captivity cried out and said, help us, God. And, and God heard their cry, and he sent Moses in. And Moses went in, and he rescued the people out. And, and by God's grace and through his power and through his strength, Moses brought the people out of Egypt, and he brought them out so that they could worship God, that the, the people of the covenant could worship God. And he brought them to the mountain, and, and there, you'll remember, in order for them to get free, God, the final plague was the plague that Pharaoh spoke, the death of the firstborn. And God said through Moses to the people of Israel, in order to avoid the death coming into your house, you must sacrifice a lamb in a certain way, and, and you must take the blood of that lamb, and you must put it on the doorpost and the threshold. And and as that blood is seen, the angel of death will pass over that house and you will be saved. And through that, the people of God were rescued from slavery and brought out. And the threat of redemption was once again brought about. And the covenant was made with Moses and the covenant is found in the law that was given on Mount Sinai. As it's a, and we looked at this and how it was a marriage covenant as he brought himself to this people and called them out to be a people of his own, a people that would, would, would reveal him to the rest of the world. And the tabernacle was constructed and the tabernacle was the model for what would become the temple that Jesus would go into uh, in, during Holy Week that we'll talk about. So this covenant made with Moses that that through the temple, the people would be able to sacrifice, that God would make his dwelling among men. Imagine. And, and, and he came visibly in a cloud and, and revealed himself, and, and God made his dwelling among men and chose to tabernacle there. 
as this thread of redemption continues to unfold, as God continues to show that he has designed us to be in relationship with him, but that redemption is necessary because of the sin of Adam. The thread continues through Scripture. And the people reject God as king. And they long for a king of their own. And so they get a king of their own. And then comes a man after God's own heart, David. David comes and sits on the throne of Israel, of Jerusalem. And, and through him, God says that there will always be a king on the throne of David. Always. And that promise is made, that covenant is made with David. And then the threat of redemption. Exile. The nation's divided. They go into exile. They come back from exile. All these years pass. All these years pass. And, and the people are wondering, is God, is God remembering the covenants? It seems so long since we've heard from him. Is he remembering the covenants? And then comes Messiah. Woo-hoo. Messiah comes. He was looked forward to in the Passover for those who had eyes to see. It's easier for us looking back. But, but comes Messiah. And Messiah comes and on that, that, that Maundy Thursday, we call it, the, the night where he has the last supper with his, with his disciples. He holds up the cup, uh, the cup of redemption within the Passover and he holds up that cup and he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And and we see that the threat of redemption now takes a fulfillment that was most unexpected and most amazing and something that we're able to celebrate in, in an amazing and miraculous day is this threat of redemption in many ways is an invitation that we take look on. And so as we, as we gather together on this, this Palm Sunday, as we gather together and begin to take a look at this week, see, the Jewish people understood that they were part of a community. See, they, they got the corporate nature of this. See, we, we live in an individualistic society. And we live where, where I need to be content, where it's about me, where I'm focused on me. But they understood this was gathering together. Do you know as they made that, that, that trek to Jerusalem, many times as many as 100 people would gather together as they, as they made that trek into Jerusalem for the unbelievable privilege of celebrating the faithfulness of God. Because you see, my confidence rests in God's faithfulness. My confidence can rest in God's faithfulness. And and they came to celebrate the fact that God had rescued their, their fathers. God had rescued their nation. That the promises, the covenants that belonged to them, Romans, tells us that clearly, that these covenants belonged to them. And they, they came to celebrate that God is faithful. And they came in a time in their history where they were experiencing extreme pain. They were under Roman rule. And it was hard. It was like a thumb on them. And, and, and they were coming and they were longing to be saved again. They were longing to be rescued. And they were longing for the promised Messiah to appear. And they understood from their, from their reading of Scripture that this Messiah would come as the king. 
He was the promised king. And as they looked at the scriptures, they examined the scriptures and they prayed, we're told Simeon was waiting for the, for the fulfillment of these things. And so they were waiting. And so there's this, there's this rising sense, I believe, at this point in time, as all of a sudden this, this radical teacher had appeared on the scene, Jesus of Nazareth. He just raised somebody from the dead. Could it be? Is he? Is this the year that the Messiah comes? And they come celebrating the Passover, celebrating the faithfulness of God, and pouring their hearts out and asking God to save again. So as we step into this week, I wonder how, how are you looking at this next coming week? Now it doesn't line up with the Jewish calendar and those kinds of things, yeah. But this is a week that we set aside to celebrate that God is faithful. And the promise that he made to Adam, the covenant that he made with Adam was fulfilled by Jesus of Nazareth, God's son, son of God, God-man on the cross. And we celebrate that that redemption is possible because of that, that the threat of redemption has come to a place where people can turn to him and be saved. Hosanna! You all want a palm branch now, don't you? (laughs) See, that's what was happening. This awareness of the faithfulness of God. And as Jesus came into the temple, as he, as he came into Jerusalem, our, our Bible calls it the triumphal entry is what the, the title is. And you understand that's not part of the original text. That just helps us divide it out so we can find spots in our Bible. That's not inspired. There will come a day when Jesus comes in great triumph. That will be on a white horse. And that's in a future date when God says, now, and Jesus says, got it, and boom, he comes, and and it's over. But at this point in time, he comes to bring redemption. He comes to keep the covenants that God had made. And you'll remember as we looked at this in the Advent season, we talked about God being a covenant-making, covenant-revealing, covenant-empowering, and covenant-keeping God. And we can trust in his faithfulness. And that's what this week should be about for us, is a celebration of that. Woven by grace, the echoes of Hosanna. The scripture that we're in today, introduction's over. Okay, so. Matthew 21. Verses 12 through 16. Jesus entered the temple area and he drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. 
do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise? Oh, Father, thank you for the word. Thank you for the power and the truth of your word that you've preserved for us. Lord, and as we look at this today, I pray that you would illuminate it for us. Holy Spirit, move over this room. I pray that you'd take each one of our hearts, rid us from distraction and clutter that would keep us from hearing what you long for us to hear. You know each heart in this room, God. We open them before you now. If there's any way, Lord, in which we've, we've missed knowing you, knowing your truth, I pray that you'd use your word today to teach, rebuke, correct, and train us so that we can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. So we're looking at this, and our big idea today is that the echoes of Hosanna ring from humble hearts. The echoes of Hosanna ring from humble hearts. And, and this causes me to think of Isaiah 57 where, where God says, I live in a high and holy place. And boy, we get that. You know, we just sang, oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. And, and we can understand that the God of the universe lives in an incredibly majestic place, a high and a holy place. But in that verse, it's almost as if he says, I have a second address. But also with him who is contrite and broken in spirit. See, a humble heart is a heart that God is able to call home. It's a heart that's broken before him. It's a heart that comes in repentance and turns to him and gives itself to him. And then it becomes a humble heart and all of a sudden, this, is, this Hosanna, God saved me. It begins to ring from a humble heart. And so how does our text today bring that to clarity for us? The first thing we see is that pride distorts God's purposes. Pride distorts God's purposes. See, all through, this, all through this thread of redemption, as we look at that and as we examine it through Scripture, and we have such a benefit as we look back, because you see, there's an unfolding of the redemptive plan. There, there, as the redemptive plan is revealed for us throughout Scripture, and so the more that Scripture comes and the more that God reveals his, his plan, there's this unfolding of this redemptive plan that makes it much easier for us to look back with certainty at the things that have become true. And so as, as we do that and as we look back, we're able to take hold of these things. But, but you see, pride distorts God's purpose. God's purpose is that, is that there would be a people who would come to know him, that he would redeem for his own. And, and in this text, we see that, that Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling. Now, if we look at the, the, the Gospels, we see that actually Mark helps us understand that this actually happened the next day. In, in, Mark, in Mark, it tells us that after Jesus came into Jerusalem, he entered and went to the temple. And he looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. And the next day, he came back into the temple area. Now, what do we know about Jesus? <laughs> A lot. But in this case, 
We know that Jesus sought the Father's will for his life. Jesus sought the Father. He often would go away and find a quiet place to be with the Father, to talk with him, to be with him. Before he, before he chose the disciples, he spent all night with the Father. Many times throughout Scripture, we see that, that Jesus would see something, and then he would go to the Father, and he would talk to the Father, and find the Father's will, and move according to the Father. And so, here we are on this day that he comes in, and it would be easy for him to be riding high, and, and walk into the temple, and see a situation, and go, bam, and start dealing with it. But instead, we see that he looked and he went away. And I want to submit to you, based on what Scripture reveals to us about Jesus, that he went away that night and he got together with the Father. And he said, Father, the temple, that place that's been set aside, the temple, is it's it's not what we've designed it to be. And I believe he poured his heart out to the Father that night and came back the next morning ready to do the Father's will because Scripture tells us that in the fullness of time, God sent his Son. You see, the the thing about Jesus that's so powerful is that as Jesus moved on the earth, Jesus moved to fulfill the Father's will and to fulfill prophecy. And everything he did was at exactly the right time for exactly the right reason. He was in exact obedience to the Father, sinless, faultless, How many times do I see something that I believe needs to be fixed and, and I just step into fixing it? All right, a, a situation that clearly needs my help and, and I step right into it instead of finding a time to pull aside with the Father and say, Father, you see this is happening. You, you see what's going on here. Even sometimes it can feel as though it's, it's absolutely we need to be standing for God, but we need to stop and seek the Father first. And Jesus did that, I believe. And so he came into the temple the next day. And he came into the temple and he saw the money changers and, and he drove them out, the buyers and the sellers. He drove them out. I have a picture of the temple here to, to get an idea of this. I think... I, I've been bouncing all over, so I don't know. Yeah, good, thanks. Um, so this is, this is a model of the temple that's in, 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 in Israel. And, and as we look at this, this, this area and this area, see, these are the court of the Gentiles. So this is where this would have been happening, that, that all of this money changing and things would have been happening in here. Now remember, this is, this is hundreds of thousands of people that are coming, and they, they all want to get in here because it's so important that, they, that they're able to have a sacrifice because they've made the trek and they've come, and they, and they need to have a sacrifice. And for many of them, they would have needed to buy a sacrifice. And, and, and there was a certain coin that needed to be used. So many of them would need to exchange their currency for the currency of the temple. And so all of that needed to happen. But what had happened is it had become such a distraction, I believe, in this area that it had taken away from what the area was designed for. The area was designed for worship. It was designed so that people could come and, and worship. And, and you can imagine, you know, suppose that, that you knew you were going to be going to Jerusalem and you were a shepherd and you had a flock and, and you and your wife 
you know, you determined that you were going to take a sacrificial lamb. And so you looked over the flock and you're like, wow, this one, oh, this one's better. Oh, wait, this one's better. And throughout the year, you would have been taking and seeing which ones and you would have brought your best. Now, not everybody did this, but, but someone would bring their best and bring that into Jerusalem. And it would be absolutely necessary for the, for the priests to look at that and to make sure that it was actually a, a lamb without blemish. And even that in, in this time was being distorted in the way that that was happening. And sometimes those lambs would be rejected and, and, and they'd have to buy another one. And all of this was taking place in the temple area. And Jesus came in and he drove all that out. And he used two scriptures to help people understand why. He says, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of robbers. Now in very important that we go back to the text where this is found. Isaiah chapter 56 first. Isaiah chapter 56 and, and in this passage and understand that in, in the time that Jesus was doing this as he used these verses the, the people would have known Isaiah 56 so well that they would have put it into context and they would have known the verses around this and, and it says here foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to serve him to love the name of the Lord and to worship him all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and all who hold fast to my covenant these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. So Jesus is looking at this passage and remembering it and he's saying wait there's a reason for the temple and the reason is so that people from all nations can come in. That's the, the purpose is that, is that all people can come and know who God is and, and know his power and, and notice that there will come a time in the future because and that's what Isaiah 56 that foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord, serve him, love his name, worship him, keep the Sabbath, and hold fast to the covenant. That as those six things are meant, those are the people who can pray. Those are the people who understand what it means to be in a house of prayer for all the nations. See, as I come to God with this attitude that I bind myself to God, that I'm serving him, that I'm loving his name, that I worship him, that I'm, I'm keeping the Sabbath, and, and that I'm holding to his covenant, I'm able to step into understanding and praying for all the nations in a completely different way. And this is what, this is what, this is what Jesus was looking to help them understand. A den of robbers. Jeremiah chapter 7 is the scripture that this comes from. In verse 9, it says, Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal, and follow other gods you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say we're safe, safe to do all these detestable things? Has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers to you? I have been watching, declares the Lord. See, the Lord has been watching. Remember, Jesus came in the night before and he watched and he saw what was happening. He had been watching these people. See, Jesus knows what's in your heart. 
He knows your heart. He knows if you're bringing a sacrifice that comes from a heart that's pure or if you're bringing a sacrifice that's, that's just trying to, to cover over your, your guilty conscience. See, they were doing detestable things and coming into the temple and saying, I'm safe because I'm in the temple. And, and I can continue to do whatever I want and, and do these detestable things, but come into the temple and I'll be okay. And Jesus says, that's not it. When you do that, you make my house a den of robbers. Now, the way that applies to us today is, listen, are you taking advantage of the grace of God? Listen, do you have sin in your life? Listen, do you have sin, detestable sin in your life that you hold on to and you think, well, it's okay, I've got heaven. I said the prayer and I'm good. See, that's, 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 that's making it a den of robbers. You are robbing the grace of God. So does my pride keep me from understanding that Jesus came to be a savior known throughout the whole world and do I recognize ways in which I shut others out of his good news and that happens as I, as I take his grace for, for granted and if I don't have his heart for the world. The second thing we see here, boy, I really spent way too long on the introduction. Okay. Strap it in, here we go. Healing brings joy. Once these tables were taken out, once these things happened, all of a sudden the blind and the lame started coming into this area. And Jesus stepped in and began healing them. First time that we ever see that Jesus healed in the temple area, and it's the last, the last account of healing that we find in Scripture. And it happens in the court of Gentiles. It happens as people are coming in, and he touches them and he heals them. As they come into his presence he heals them. And, and his house is a house of prayer for the nations. And, and you'll remember as I read that Isaiah passage, it said that, um, give them joy in my house of prayer. Can you imagine the joy that came as these people were healed? And amongst this healing, we also see that the children are running through. And, and I love Palm Sunday because I think the, uh, the, the, the branches that we carry so perfectly illustrate this, this idea of the children that are talking about because as he's healing in the temple area, there's these kids that are running around. And, and I imagine, you know, like there's palm branches with half the leaves missing because it's been a weapon. And, you know, and, and they're, they're running through and they're singing, Hosanna! Hosanna, son of David, and, and you know, and, and do they really understand fully what they're singing? You know, and, and our kids that sang tonight, today, they, they sang, and, and tomorrow morning, they're going to be singing that song in your house. You know, if, if you've got one of those kids, they're going to be singing that song, and, and maybe they understand all the words, maybe they don't. That's up to you to help them with that, by the way. And so as you look at that, and, and so all this is going on, and, and our text tells us that it's wonderful. When the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things Jesus did and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Wait, what? what the, no, hey, that doesn't make sense, does it? That you see wonderful things, you see children happy and shouting and, and singing praise to God and you become indignant. See, how does that happen in our lives? How, how does that happen? And, and, and it happens when we, when we define and decide that God needs to be working a certain way, and if he's not working that way, then it's clearly not God who's working. 
And, and isn't it true sometimes that I, if I'm not careful, I can see God working in your life and I can see him doing amazing things in your life and I get indignant because it's not happening for me. See, and, and the next thing you know, I'm, I'm getting upset because, man, it's really great that God's doing something for you, but what about me? What about me? And, and, and then what about the way that I've designed God to work? You know, because if I'm not careful, I have an exact way that God's supposed to work, and if all of a sudden he starts working over here and, and it's outside of my design, then it's going to be like, whoa, well, what's going on here? See, even praise, you know, it, it's interesting because I love the palm branches because I don't know if you noticed or not, but when the kids were up here and they were swinging their palm branches, it started to hit the, the microphone and then clunk, 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 okay? Right? How many of you got indignant about that? Right? How many of you thought, come on, kid, don't, don't you? Right? See, because that's not the way praise is supposed to happen. You're supposed to do praise so it doesn't bother me. See? If we're not careful, if we're not, if we're not watching it, pretty soon little things can cause us to be indignant and God can't move in the way that he's designed to move. But healing brings joy. The last thing we see is that humility evokes true praise. Humility just raises up inside of me true praise. And, and that's where Jesus comes and he says, that, you know, they ask him, he says, don't you hear what these children are saying? Yes, he says, have you never read? Now, just as he asks that, he's not, ask, he's not really asking, have you ever read? He's, he's asking, have you ever understood what you've read? And, and I think he wants them to understand something significant here. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise. This comes from Psalm 8, which which Pastor Gabe led us in reading today. We read this psalm together. And it's a psalm of celebrating the majesty of God. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And see, as Jesus took this particular psalm and as he took this particular verse out of the psalm, what he was doing was he was saying, that because this psalm at that point in time was a psalm that, that was clearly understood as celebrating the majesty of God. See, we look back now, we can see the messianic purpose because Jesus has assigned that. But this is a psalm that, that praised God. So as he took this verse out of that psalm and brought it to these people, he was telling them, I'm God. And what they've just been declaring is true. I am the Messiah. I am God. And I am worthy of this praise. And children and infants get it. And they're excited about it. And as I get excited about it, all of a sudden, my humble heart begins to praise God for who he is in reality and in truth. And the pride that would distort God's purpose is gone from my life. And I'm able to let people know and see this thread of redemption and the possibility and potential it brings into their lives. Because you see, this thread of redemption, as I said, is an invitation. This thread of redemption that finds its way all through Scripture. The promise of God that he would send a redeemer. See, our sin breaks the thread of redemption for us. 
Our sin earns the wrath of God. And listen, the, the plan of God is the thread of redemption woven through your life. But listen, if you have sin in your life, it breaks that. And there is no way for you to bridge this gap. There's no way for you to put that back together. Just as it was with Adam when he, when he disobeyed God, so is it for you. There was no way for Adam to be right before God unless God reached to him with the promise that he made. And there's no way for us to be right with God. There's no way for us to be redeemed apart from Jesus Christ. And so we look at the offer extended for each one of us. I don't know all of you, but I do know every one of us has sinned. Every one of us have placed ourselves in control of our lives. And because of that, the relationship with God has been severed. But God has made redemption possible. He has extended to us and he said, if you will believe, if you will accept, if you will repent, turn. You say, God, I know my sin has earned your wrath. I ask that you would forgive me. I repent, I turn. Jesus says, come follow me. Jesus, I... I take my life of sin and I exchange it for a life of righteousness. I change my life. I, I follow you. Nothing you can do to save yourself, but at that point, God comes down and you become a new creation and the thread of redemption now runs through your life. If you've never, never done that, don't leave here today. Without, without asking God to forgive, repenting, turning, finding the thread of redemption, running through your life. Because from eternity past, he has purposed to rescue a people for himself. Oh God, I pray today you'd stir in our hearts. Lord God, you know each heart in this room if there's anyone who has not yet met you, not yet, you have not yet redeemed, today would you reach into their heart, Lord God? Show them the depth of their sin. Help them turn to you. For those of us who have, Lord, help us check our hearts for pride. Is there any way that we're missing the design that you have for us? Have we distorted your purpose in any way? Do hosannas echo through our lives, singing the songs of heaven? Oh God, make it true for us, I pray in your name. Amen. Amen. May I ask you to stand and hear God's good word for you from Hebrews. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, may he equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us that which is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever and ever. Amen? Amen. This is an amazing week, this holy week. Please celebrate this. Celebrate it well as I release you to a week of work, witness, and worship. Amen.